Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello guys, today we are going to discuss very important topic, how you can scale your business, how you can scale your results. And we are going to touch these topics because I know many people can't, including me, because I have a few projects and it's hard. It's really hard when you achieve something, you need to scale, to double, to get more results. And it's hard. It's why I'm so excited. To discuss this topic with Shelby Torrance. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited to learn more about that. Uh, So I'll give this episode to my team because uh, I think all businesses have some part when it's hard to go ahead, when you have customers, when you have sales, you have process, but you need more. So you need to double, you need to go. It's not like to hire two more people, you know, uh, and get two more sales. <laughs> so it's more about uh, using the right strategy. Okay, Shelby, before we start, tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about this important topic. Sure, happy to. So my name is Shelby Torrance. I'm CMO with Earthly. Earthly is focused on helping companies invest in nature. Of course, right now, for many different reasons, companies are more focused, whether it's aligned to their ESG or their net zero strategy, or they're shifting to being purpose-led. There's a lot more interest and and, uh, eagerness to invest in nature. So we help companies with making sure that they're investing in high quality projects that align to their business. I joined Mm -hmm. the team, oh, it's been almost a year now. And for me, it's a really new space. Um, this is the first time I've really been in the, in the climate and environmental space. I come from more of a fintech um, and enterprise tech background, which is sort of my experience with scaling growth. Um, first part of my career, I focused on demand gen for companies like IBM and Google Cloud. And then over the past five or six years, I've transitioned to being in smaller companies, but that grew very fast. Um, the last two reach unicorn, one within three years. So I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've been in very heavy tech environments and very different fintech, enterprise tech, SaaS. Um, but yes, all about growing as fast as they as they possibly can. Awesome, awesome! I love your experience. You have experience to work on Google, so yeah, it it speaks a lot. Okay, you know, uh, can you tell me why? When I open your LinkedIn profile, I see invest in nature, not in text, not in many other things, but in nature. Can you explain what does it mean? Sure. Well, I'll explain it sort of from my personal point of view, because it's been a bit of a evolution for me. Like I said, I kind of came from very, very techie companies, and I was very much on the side of businesses with wanting to do better, wanting to have an impact on the, the planet, a positive impact but not really knowing what that meant or how to do it. Um, So when I came across the Earthly team, I was really impressed with the work that they do. I think it's very overwhelming for businesses to know where to focus. Uh, There is a lot of focus right now on carbon reduction, which is incredibly important. There should be, but we need to go beyond that. We need to look at biodiversity loss. We need to understand the social impact that climate change is having on many communities. And I love that the Earthly team does that. 
Um, so we, I look at us as a little bit of the bridge between the business community that wants and needs to do much more, but isn't sure how to do it, and the climate community that has a vast amount of knowledge, but sometimes these two communities don't talk to each other well. So we try to be that bridge to help make sure that we can help the businesses invest in the right projects and, and go about climate change and, and helping to tackle climate change in the right way. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I love I love your bridge. I'm going to take part on this bridge. But, you know, I'm interested about your methods to uh, create this bridge because, you know, I see many businesses are busy. You know, people are busy with their projects and sometimes they have no time to take part on any uh, bridge or uh, any something like this, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a big issue. Can you tell? how to do it because uh, for example if uh, I'm going to invest some money in nature I do it in, on my home I usually divide plastic and other <laughs> nonsense in my trash but you know I mean like um, uh, it's, it's, it's a small of course it's not a big impact but uh, can you tell about uh, businesses how they can find time and how to explain to employees or uh, to your process, I mean, like to impact your process, uh, to take part in saving nature. Uh, yeah, I know it's important. It is. It's really important. And it's a good point you bring up. I think a lot of businesses do want to get involved. Um, but they're not sure how. And also mm -hmm. they have a lot of priorities, right? Particularly right now, we're in economic uncertainty. Um, businesses aren't, are, you know, people are being laid off. There's a lot of concerns about budget, how to use it most, uh, most effectively. Um, so I do think it comes down, when I, when I look at most businesses, I mean, there's some exceptions where you have very large businesses that have massive teams that are experts in sustainability, but that's not the majority of businesses. Most businesses, a lot of heads of sustainability, for instance, that we talk to, they've just come into this space. So in most businesses, this is something that's very new, and it is about them finding the right partners that they can trust and rely on to bring the expertise, because it's not something you can all of a sudden become an expert in overnight. Um, even for me, again, I, I sort of transitioned less than a year ago, and I'm still learning constantly. I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of a talented team with wonderful researchers who know a lot about it, but it's about really connecting with the right partners who can help give you the right guidance, who understand what's important for your business and how to align that to where you invest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, Shelby, let's talk about uh, marketing. I know you have a uh, huge marketing experience and uh, my audience loves marketing as well. SEO, many di different marketing methods. Uh, and I found one big issue when uh, companies, they usually try to replicate methods of their competitors. For example, if competitors are good with SEO or YouTube, or TikTok, it doesn't matter, you know, they, when they have success with something, they just copy that, you know, copy the strategy. And uh, they often come to my company and tell, I don't know what's going on. I, uh, I spent like a few years without results. Uh, if something works for my competitors, it, it doesn't work for me. Why? Can you tell why? And when I check out their strategy, I, I can see totally the same. Nothing special, just the same methods. If competitors are good with something, it doesn't mean uh, you can connect with your strong side. 
And can you tell about creating the right strategy in marketing? For example, how to create strategy considering your strong side, your unique selling proposition, and of course to analyze uh, competitors, but in order to find their weaknesses. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm I'm sure every uh, marketeer like myself has had their sales or their CEO come to them and say, yeah, XYZ competitor is doing something. Why aren't we doing that? Um, and the devil, of course, is always in the details. It's not, it really isn't about what you do. It's about how you do it. Um, and for me, the difference a lot of times needs to start with who your customers are, because quite often it looks like you have a comp competitor who's doing exactly the same thing you are, but you may appeal to slightly different audiences. And so if you start with who are our existing customers, let's talk to them, let's understand them, let's make sure that we are appealing to this audience that, are, that is interested in us, then I think that's much more effective than trying to duplicate what your competitors are doing. So it, it's always a difficult thing. You don't wanna completely ignore your competitors, but I think strategy needs to start with who our existing customers are are these the customers that we want to be appealing to? Is there a gap? Is there a type of customer that we want to be appealing to that we aren't? And you need to talk to those people, whether they're your existing customers or they're your ideal customers that you would like to be. But your strategy has got to come from your competitors and not what your, I'm sorry, from your customers and not what your competitors are doing. Yeah, you remind me Jeff Bezos. Once he told uh, many companies uh, are obsessed with competition but they need to be obsessed with customers, you know, because uh, customers are fuel of your business. And if you uh, fight or compete all the time, uh, you can forget about customers. So uh, it's better to find their pain points. And you wrote an article uh, in HubSpot blog, you know, oh, yes. customers and people, the key uh, to scaling any business. Can you... Uh, highlight some uh, important aspects uh, from this article and uh, any other tips that can help you know companies to grow their businesses by learning customers and people sure yeah that was actually a great opportunity and i think when when it first came to me i sort of thought i'm not quite sure how to organize things because understanding how to scale growth encompasses so many different things. And as a marketeer, you do start with, okay, so what do you do at top of funnel? What do you do to drive conversion? But as I really started digging in and looking at the experience that I had across multiple companies, I really strongly felt like it's it really is about connecting with your customers and understanding them, having them become your advocates. I mean, I think quite a lot of companies have gotten much better at user-generated content, at using customer stories, at having their customers really share their experiences and doing this in authentic ways. Uh, honestly, particularly in the IT space, I think customers get tired of hearing from vendors. After a certain point, we all start to sound alike to them. And so the more you can have your customers speaking to their peers, the more effective you'll be. But it comes down, and again, as I think you said it well, as being obsessed with your customers, you have to listen to your customers. So I think some businesses try to sidestep it where they want their customers to advocate, but you've got to make sure they're having a great experience, that they're really excited about what you're doing. So it's important for you to have a strong relationship. We started, I mean, Earthly's quite young, we're two years old, but we started our customer advisory board more than six months ago to make sure 
that we were getting input on a regular basis from our customers and understanding the challenges. And it helps us in so many different ways. It helps us with product development. It helps us with, with understanding what trends are most important because you hear so many things across so social media and the news. And what you really wanna know is what are the things that impact your customers most? So I think that perspective of putting customers at the heart of your business is really key to being able to scale and grow. Yeah, awesome. And you know, uh, I remember uh, when Bill Gates told about learning customers, uh, the best way you need to analyze uh, negative uh, feeling or reviews of your competitors. So you, you know uh, what kind of products they have and try to uh, fix it now in your products. Uh, and it's not uh, a good time to start a bad business uh, and it never uh, a bad time to start a good business you know so you need to find something that can impact uh, let's talk about customers you you mentioned many times about customers uh can you tell how to learn them because i see the era of lazy marketers is that you know when uh companies uh use standard methods it doesn't work but we need to do more than just standard methods to learn customers. Uh, tell practical tips how to do it, how to learn their pain points, uh, or if you have checklist or any methods that can help companies uh, to learn their customers, share with us. <laughs> I think particularly in, in B2B companies, um, sometimes marketeers make the mistake of um, allowing other teams to, to really be that first line of point with customers. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we go, oh yes, I am talking to my customers, but actually what the marketeers are doing is talking to customer success or sales. Um, so it's very important for us to have direct relationships. It, and this isn't about cutting out customer success or sales, they should be part of it too. But it's about making sure that we are hearing directly from customers and not having that filtered through a different perspective that another team might, right? We all know sort of the, the game of telephone when you're passing messages, they don't come through 100%. So I do think for marketeers, that is always to me the key. And I take every opportunity I can, whether that's when, you know, if there are events that are going on, we shouldn't be there just to put up the booths and, and make sure everything looks great. We should actually be in the sessions interacting with potential customers and customers. We we should take, yeah, again, with the customer advisory board, things like that, take a chance to, to interact and hear directly from your customers. Connect with them on LinkedIn and just let them know that, that you're here. So there are different ways you can open up lines of communication, but having direct lines of communication with your customers is something I think, again, B2C may be a little different, but I think on the B2B side, we haven't done this nearly enough and, and we really need to prioritize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think without priorities, it's hard to go ahead because, uh, you know, I remember when <clears throat> Bill Gates shared his methods of selling products. For example, if he has product A and product B, after investing X amount of money to product A and product B, if product B sells two times more, the second time he won't invest anything to product A and double investment to product B. You know? So, yeah, uh, simple. It looks simple, but it works. Because, you know, uh, by the way, it's a big issue because I see when uh, companies, uh, uh, you know, pay so much attention to all products, when you can pay so much attention to best-selling products that bring more revenue. For example, if I open apple.com, I can see only iPhone. 
I don't see MacBook, I don't see AirPod, I don't see Apple Watch, uh, iTunes, uh, many, a lot of products. Apple has a lot of products, but in the first visible screen, only iPhone, because iPhone is responsible for uh, from 40 to 50% of all sales. So Apple doesn't try to sell anything because they know uh, that customers can open Uh, apple.com and don't know what to click but when they see simple content nice looking picture it's enough you know to sell to their customers yeah, yeah. Love it. it's very true i remember years ago um a, a ceo of a startup that was growing very fast um we asked him a question sort of what was his one lesson he would sh share with other startups and and his his lesson was beware of opportunity because I think it happens quite a lot when you're at the startup phase, you don't know which way to go and everything sounds appealing. So you try to do so many things because we don't have crystal balls, right? We don't know what the right thing is, but I always took that lesson from him and, and kept it is, is, you know, everything can feel like an opportunity. You really need to dig in and, and using data is a great way to be able to do that, to really understand what are the real opportunities that you can pursue? Because I think that trips up more startups than anything else is just trying to do too much, spreading your team really thin, having your customers not understand your messaging, ma making it too complicated for customers. So yeah, that's, that's very true. Mm -hmm. Nice. By the way, if I have a crystal ball, the first thing what I do, I play lottery, you know, <laughs> simple <laughs> money, <laughs> billion, billion dollars, you know, it's enough for me for a few generations. <laughs> so why I need to use crystal ball data to uh, scale in business if I can get a billion, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shelby, I have the question about uh, your marketing experience one more time. You know, um, you uh, have high positions in marketing, uh, you have this experience, uh, and I found that the best data we can get from salespeople, but according to a few studies, salespeople distrust marketers because of many things. Uh, so uh, probably, I, I can assume, uh, salespeople want to get sales now. Marketing Marketers usually create strategies uh, that uh, sometimes it takes years, you know, to achieve the strategy, uh, to achieve results. Can you tell how to improve this cooperation, uh, relationship between marketers and salespeople? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, and I've seen it play out in very different ways. Um, I've been in organizations where the relationship was very strong and other organizations where it just really didn't exist. Um, and I think it comes from both sides. I think um, on the marketing side, if I could say anything to, to marketeers, it's don't BS your sales team. Just be really honest. Um, sometimes I think we oversell things. Um, to salespeople who know better. <laughs> so I think on the marketing side, that's probably the most important thing to say is to be honest. Uh, if a program doesn't work, say it doesn't work, learn from why it didn't work. Um, so on the marketing side, I think that's the most important thing to do is to be honest, have an honest relationship with sales and know that they are numbers driven. It's a number, they're, they're judged on numbers. So they tend to judge other teams on numbers as well. On the sales side, uh, I'd say, You know, salespeople, please don't don't um, underestimate how challenging marketing is. I think that is a lot of times where the break happens, where, again, salespeople might say, hey, a competitor is doing X, Y, Z. Why aren't we doing? 
doing that. It's not always as easy as it looks. And I and when I've seen bad relationships between marketing and sales, it is quite often because you have sales leadership that doesn't really respect the challenges that marketeers have. Um, so I think if you come from a place of that, of marketing being honest and authentic about things that work and may not work, uh, and sales not underestimating how challenging marketing is, then I think you're going to be in a better place than about 80% of, of uh, marketing and sales teams out there. Yeah, awesome. Valuable. So salespeople, if you watch this podcast now, trust marketers, <laughs> you need to do it. <laughs> so you can invite marketers to a few beers, you know, on Friday night or find other ways <laughs> to trust marketers. Okay, Shelby. Uh Let's talk about uh, scaling business. Uh, can you list uh, methods how to do it? For example, if uh, we see, I don't know, like uh, the same sales, uh, stagnation, nothing special. And when companies don't know what to do, how to provide this brainstorming to analyze what we have and think how to double or scale? results that you have. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my background is in demand, Jen. I, I think scaling is critical. It's very difficult to do, but of course it's critical for businesses, no matter where you are in your growth. Um, one of the things I think that's most important is, is we are in an environment where things change very rapidly. So we have to be a bit realistic. It's a challenge as a marketeer because it takes time to launch new programs. Yet when you launch a new program, if it's working well, you can't sort of go, okay, I've got that and it'll run for the next year. Um, the channels that people use, the messaging that they hear, these things are constantly changing. So we need to approach the campaigns and programs that we uh, we create and try to make sure they're always evolving. So we're not just resting and assuming that things will improve. So I, I can't tell you how many times someone said, hey, you know, our ads are running really well. Let's double budget and get double the leads. And it's yeah. like, no, that's that's not how it works. You need to constantly find new and changing pain points for your buyers and be able to address it. So you need to look at it. Demand gen should be looking looked at as an engine that you're always trying to adjust. You're always feeding it with new content. That content should be based on the pain points and the challenges of your customers and buyers. And you need to be willing to test um, new channels. So it's really great, regardless of the size of your organization, on your marketing team, you want a little bit of a combination of at least 20% of your team's time that's spent on experimenting. So you're, you're, you've got your programs that you're running that are working well, but you always, even if they're working fabulously, you need to be able to constantly experiment to be able to understand what can work and what can be expanded. And that, I think, is the key to being able to, to scale, to understanding the pain points that, that are most important to your buyers and customers, to be able to experiment with the different channels and understand what's working, to remember that just because it's working right now doesn't mean it'll be working well in four or five months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I remember when Mark Zuckerberg uh, said about that, he told, if you don't take a risk, uh, I, no, no, not like this, the biggest risk is not to take the risk. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we need to test. And can you tell about failing? Uh, I see when, you know, uh, when you try something new, uh, for example, I usually fail all the time. I need to think how to adapt, how to change. Because uh, when you um, 
experiment, you usually uh, use generic approaches. Then after failing, you understand how to adapt them to your preferences. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's discouragement for someone, I don't know. So can you tell about failures, how it can help, you know, to uh, go ahead? Because in marketing, we, uh, I, I fail a lot. No, I, I keep doing this. I made a lot of mistakes in marketing, but I found what actually works for me. So any insights about failing and how do you feel about failing? Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think that's where a lot of times marketing leaders fail. Um, is not allowing their team to feel comfortable failing. So mm-hmm. I remember years ago having a manager, you know, I presented my marketing plan for six months and laid out my campaigns. And he sort of said to me, okay, all of these are not going to work. So we, we know they're not all going to work. You need to be ready for that. You need to be prepared. You need to sort of have contingencies, but you should come into your programs or your campaigns with an understanding that they may not work perfectly. They Well, they definitely won't work perfectly, but there will be some that work better than others. But it's got to come from leadership. You have to create an environment where people feel like they can fail. If, if they don't, then you end up with people trying to make things sound like they are better results than they are, with people going, trying to find leads that, you know, and move them around from one program to another to show that it's more impactful. But that's all about leadership. That's all about leaders being able to make sure that people have that comfort space. And I guess as individual contributors, it's about making sure that you're you're in an environment that allows that. So if you're looking for jobs, ask that. It's like, okay, what happens if I run a campaign that fails? I remember actually interviewing, I didn't end up working with them, but I interviewed for booking.com. And they told me that when they experiment initially, um, they only expect an ROI of 1x. So basically, as long as the program that you run covers the cost, I had never been in a, in a company like that. Every company I was in was, oh, you have to have 10x, 15x, 20x to prove that something works. And that's insane when you're starting out. So for me, that is immediately telling people that, okay, we understand that when you start, it's going to take time. We're not going to put pet pressure on you to be able to deliver it while you're experimenting. Once you experiment, then at that point, we'll start looking at how we scale up and how do we adjust the metrics to be able to show to show that uh, that it's a program worth scaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, stop it. You know, on your LinkedIn profile, I see in your position uh, a small mark remote. Let's talk about about this, you know, because, you know, uh, my brother told me, you know, the best thing that happened with COVID, uh, people uh, started to learn about a remote job and he loves this experience uh, because he spent like uh, two hours a day just driving to the office, you know, a lot. Uh, and right now he has two hours for his family. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, that was hard for him to spend time with family today he can. And you you work remotely, if I see the right <laughs> on your LinkedIn profile. Can you tell how to be productive working remotely? Because sometimes we need to communicate with others. We need to uh, give the right tasks. And um, yeah, and uh, because it's not like when uh, someone works, it's more about how team works. So we can uh, help each other. Any insights about working remotely? 
Sure. I've actually been working remotely for most of my career, mainly because um, as a working mom, I was lucky enough um, to be able to have jobs that allowed me to have more balance. So I've been primarily working from home um, for 15 years. Um, right now, Earthly is a completely remote company, so all of us work from home. Um, and, and actually, that in some ways makes it easier when everyone's working remotely, because that way you have systems and infrastructure in place that really support employees. It is about making sure you've got the right people. So some people are not comfortable working from, uh, from home. They're not able to, to self-motivate. So when you're re recruiting, you need to find people who are able to manage their own workload, who are very result-oriented. Um, that in general is what's good to have in a startup anyway, right? You don't want people who are sort of tasked or need to be over, overseen by a manager. So you want people who are very um, result-oriented and able to, to self-manage themselves. And even at Earthly, even our interns are really good at taking ownership of projects, understanding where they need to ask for help, but being able to um, to really drive towards results and understand what needs to be done without having to be given a lot of direction. We have a lot of balance. We, we, um, we have two meetings per week where we get the team together to talk about things, to dive into different discussions. Twice a year, we have company retreats. So we do try to give people the opportunity to get together at different points. Uh, and make sure that we have that connection across the team. Um, but it's been wonderful. I mean, we, we can hire people pretty much in any country. We've got a team across Europe and Africa, as long as you're within two hour, you know, two hour time zones so that we're online at the same time, people can be based anywhere. And that freedom, I think people appreciate that freedom. So they, they tend to take a sense of responsibility, right? When you're sort of given ownership and you're trusted, you wanna show that you, um, that you've earned that trust. So you work even more diligently, I think, when you're working from home because you've got more freedom, you're more comfortable, you've got flexibility. If you've got to go to the doctor or you've got to pick up the kids, no one's watching the clock. But that means when you come back, you're working even more hard because you appreciate having that freedom. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned five times the slow freedom <laughs> because you know <laughs> it's interesting no my brother told me that office is slavery <laughs> for him <laughs> so yeah freedom yeah uh, when you uh, can be everywhere uh, yeah it doesn't matter what countries even on moon if you have online if you can connect with people so why not <laughs> why don't use this opportunity okay Shelby I have the question about uh, something that um, you know it's uh, for example, we discussed a lot about uh, learning customers, their, their pain points. But I found many influencers think about being uh, themselves. They, uh, they, you know, uh, create products related to them. And they have fans, they have people who follow them, they love this content. And they don't learn a lot of, uh, about customers. That's okay if it works for them. And once um, I read uh, one book uh, from Damon John. No, uh, he was, uh, he's uh, one of uh, executive producers uh, Shark Tank. And uh, on his book, he wrote about girl. Uh, this girl, uh, she was uh, introvert, uh, so introvert. Uh, but uh, once she decided to uh, create a blog about herself, a million people started to follow her. million people started to uh, love her because... Uh, only million people are the same. 
So what do you think? How to find the balance between learning customers and being yourself? Because companies often limit their possibilities uh, because of customers. They try to create for customers. But if it's not related to being yourself, you know, to uh, share something new, you know, to play with that. Can you tell how to find this balance between being yourself and learning customers? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good point because of course, you know, Henry Ford said, right, if he had asked people what they wanted, he would have built a faster horse, right? So yeah. <laughs> it is about taking some risk as well. So if you so I guess there's a to me, there's a difference between listening to customers and following what customers tell you to do. There is a bit of balance, mm -hmm. right? When people and that's in any type of relationship, when when people tell you what they want, sometimes you've got to peel it back to understand what's behind it. And that's why it's about the pain points. I think it's amazing that there are influencers and that there are businesses that sort of say this is exactly where I am and have people find them who connect with them. I think that's an amazing thing to do. Um, but I think that at, for every success story, there are also challenges where that happens. And I do think particularly on the business side, it's really important that we don't start becoming so internally focused that we get super excited about everything we do. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've come across companies that thought, well, our product is fabulous, so we don't need marketing. Um, and, and that sounds nice. And there probably are some examples of where that's been true, but it's not the majority. It is, it is still the exception. It's not the rule. You do need to make sure that you understand your customers, that you listen to them. But 100% agree, listening doesn't mean following blindly, that you need to be able to innovate. You need to be able to take risks. And I think these are the things you learn with experience. The more experience you have, you sort of go, okay, I'm hearing X, Y, Z, but I know I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to propose or I'm going to experiment and try something different. You don't have to just play, I guess, within within the box that you're given. You can definitely expand and, and try new things. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, and, you know, uh, when you have experience, you get the feeling of intuition. No, it's not logic. <laughs> Sometimes you can feel by your heart, you know, that it's better to do like this. Uh, I think it works. Okay, you, even if you fail, that's okay because you can learn. Okay, it doesn't work. So uh, you can uh, learn from logic, intuition to find the balance. And yeah, something like this. Okay, shall be. My question is from audience. Uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of students in my network and many of them are looking for new ways uh, how to learn, how to go ahead. And I often ask the question, uh, for example, if you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, what will you do today to learn more about marketing? It's a good question. Um, I actually, um, I've always felt, I did actually in university, I studied business and focused in on marketing. Um, but I'll honestly say I don't think there was a marketing course that I took in university that has had an impact on my career. The most important marketing course I actually took in school was anthropology because it taught me mm -hmm. about cultures and norms and helping me to understand that what I think of as normal is not what other people think of as normal. Um, so I think... University certainly has its place. Courses have their place with helping people build technical skills. But I think a lot of marketing is about understanding and experiencing people 
and about being able to put aside what you feel strongly, your likes and dislikes and the things you feel strong about and being willing to kind of look at things and put yourself into someone else's shoes. I, I feel ultimately that's what marketing is really about is I want to I want to really understand this person that I'm targeting. I want to make sure that I can feel what they're feeling. And that's not something any course can teach you. So I think that's something you've got to learn. So probably the best thing to do is travel the world a bit and uh, and meet people from different cultures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, once I got the question, if I listen all your podcast episode, can I become a great marketer? I told, no, you can't. You can't because it's not about to overlook anything you know it's not about uh, i can read a hundred books uh, but if i do nothing <laughs> it doesn't bring any results so yeah i agree you need to learn and you need to act you need to speak with people to learn from your experience and go ahead yeah love it love it uh i have the question about the future you know many things are coming we don't know how it works um, if uh, we have this crystal ball, of course, uh, lottery in the first place, the second uh, probably stock market, many things we can do, but let, let's predict the future. Uh, uh, what do you think will be in marketing uh, in 5-10 years? Because people, uh, students, want to learn and uh, you know, many uh, today we have AI that can replace some mediocre writers. Uh, uh, I don't know if it will replace great experts or not, but today all mediocre writers can lose their jobs. Uh, I remember when Uber came to the field, uh, a million uh, people lost their jobs mm -hmm. because of this technology. Today AI can replace some mediocre writers. It's better to improve skills to focus attention because AI just rewrite content. Uh, okay, good grammar, uh, good insights, but it's not new. It's not unique. In the future, we'll see. I don't know. But can you tell what to do today to adapt to the future? What kind of skills to learn from your experience? And uh, can you predict the future of marketing? Sure. Um, I think tools like AI are fabulous. And I think you're probably right that there will be some people who are not as strong that might be displaced. But I look at tools like that as enabling people to work more effectively. So I don't expect that AI is going to mean I won't have to have a, a fabulous content manager. And unfortunately, we do have a really great one. Um, but I, I, I think that our content managers right now are overloaded with so many things to do. And AI will allow them to work more effectively and actually be able to spend more time on the creative things. As marketeers, if we look at our time right now, we probably don't get to spend as much time on creative, right? We get, we've, we've got to deal with the technical things of setting up our campaigns and measuring them and making sure that everything is running. Like a lot of our jobs have become so technical. So if tools can help us be more effective and spend less time on the technical side and more time on the creative, that's like, that's a future I, I know I'm gonna love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's better to adapt. I remember uh, Gary Kasparov, he was uh, the world champion in chess and uh, the journalist asked him what uh, he thinks about AI. Uh, and he replied, he doesn't worry about AI. And he was the fourth, the first human being was beaten by a machine, you know, <laughs> playing chess. <laughs> and he replied, uh, no way, okay, uh, I was beaten the first, but I don't worry about 
uh, AI because uh, AI can't uh, replace all occupations. Of course, some jobs uh, disappear, but mm -hmm. it's the evolution. That's okay, you know. But uh, uh, AI can help. You just need to adapt to these technologies to go ahead. And um, I spoke with a few uh, specialists in AI uh, from Zurich University, and uh, many of them told me, uh, you don't understand how AI is stupid. <laughs> it's not like real human uh, mind. It's just a mechanism that can help to be productive, as you mentioned, to go ahead. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. we need to adapt. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the transitions that started to happen across so many different places is that people want to be more entrepreneurs. They want to have startups. They don't necessarily want to work in large companies and, and, and not have ownership of what they do. And I think tools help you do that. So the ability to really democratize who can start a business, who can be able to, to fund and get it off the ground. I think there's a lot of value in using tools in that way so that people can be can do what they're passionate about. And I think that's what I've started seeing with candidates who are interviewing when they come in. They're not just looking for a job. They're really looking for a company that connects to something they want to do. If we go back sort of to talking about, you know, mediocre writers, it's probably people who didn't have a passion for writing, but you kind of ended up there and now you're here and it's hard to change fields because, you know, companies make it really difficult for you. But if people can find their passion and it's much easier to be able to use tools to help you make a, a sustainable living at your passion, then that's that's an amazing world for us to be in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for many years, I told copywriters, stop writing about everything. Stop doing it. And if they did, you know, today AI replaced them. Uh, replaces, you know, it's evolution. So, but when you write only about one thing, when you focus on one thing, results will come. Yeah, because AI can't beat experience. Probably, uh, not probably, uh, can't beat today. Tomorrow we'll see. <laughs> Shelby, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you, tell our audience the best way how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Sure, absolutely. And thank you very much for the inv invitation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, you guys can reach out to me on LinkedIn, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, there aren't that many Shelby Torrances in the world. Uh, you can also reach out to Earthly at earthly.org, uh, and you can look for us as well on, on Twitter. We're at Project Earthly, and on Instagram, same handle, Project Earthly. Nice. Guys, you can find the link to uh, Shelby account LinkedIn on, on the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Love all Thank your you. insights. Thanks, guys, for watching and listening us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.